Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hello, Dean, and welcome to this week's uh, Man on the Post Extra Time. We are back. I am Chris. Uh, now, we've got no Ryan this week, but uh, back with us, we've got Dave. How are you doing? Not too bad, Chris. Yourself? Grand, thank you very much. And is this your first one on this series, Mark? Uh, I, I was on pre-season, but it, it's been so busy and here, there and everywhere that, yeah, I think it might be my first one of the season. So this is your first first competitive pod of the season? Mm-hmm. It is, yeah. I got a bit of a, I've got a bit of a, a twinge in in preseason, and it's kept me out this long. Yeah. Right. Are you all back now? Are you all you need your back rubbing or anything? Um, let's wait till afterwards. That's probably after the watershed stuff. <laughs> all right, we're going to talk about uh, rounding up some of the World Cup qualifiers from Europe and South America this week. Um, a couple of managerial changes in England, and then we're going to be talking about the Premier League as well, the forthcoming fixtures. So, um. I'm really just going to talk about the ones post-weekend, sort of in greater detail, because otherwise we could be here all night. But England did beat Malta 2-0. Um, we'll quickly do this one, because it was Gareth Southgate's first game in charge. Um, you get the same number of points of beating someone 2-0 as you beat someone 5-0. So does the scoreline make any difference, Mark? Um, it tells you the level we're at, and it tells you the level Malta are at. There are, the old cliche is that, there aren't many easy games in international football anymore. And, you know, teams like Malta are starting to come up. They're much better coached than they once were. The players are much better than they once were. Um, England aren't as superior as they once were against countries like this. So um, I, I watched most of the game. didn't see all of it. But as expected, Malta put five or six across the box, another four or five in front of that, and then ventured outside their own half, or very little anyway. Uh, and England... Um, which we'll talk about probably when we get to the Slovenia game, um, weren't good enough to break that down too much. No. Um, I mean, in the previous game against Scotland, they, I think they were fortunate to have two men sent off, but they seemed to do all right until they had those guys sent off and then they sort of caved in a bit. So they're no mugs by any means. No. Haven't they had a recent draw against somebody like Italy as well? I think they did, didn't they? And they've got an Italian coach, haven't they? Yeah. So, I mean, that that tells you straight away... It, Okay, that might have been one fluke result, but um, I think there's countries like that are starting to improve for sure. I think, so. yeah, I think so as well. Um, okay, so Tuesday night we had Slovenia nil, England nil. Um, we were saved by that he was past his best, wasn't he, Joe Hart? Um, all players, goalkeepers included, in fact, probably goalkeepers especially, have ups and downs in in form. I think Joe Hart has has his faults every goalkeeper does you know probably you know Shilton did Banks did all the all the greats have, have had something that's always let them down but um, maybe a bit of confidence has, has drained out of him the last couple of years um, but he's got all the tools he's got the size he's got everything to be a good goalkeeper and he he is a good shot stopper I know he made a boo-boo in the world and the European Championship a couple of them but if there's one thing he is good at it's, it's being a shot stopper well 
Um, he, um, he admitted himself he had a shocking summer. Um, and to nick things off a podcast called the WFI Index, I heard the other day that he's only let two goals in four games for Torino. So he's, mm. he's, he's doing okay, isn't he? You have to feel for him a little bit. And the fact that as a human being, although he's paid hundreds of thousands of pounds a week and, you know, one of the most pampered people in the world as footballers are, he has, um, he has had a bit of a tough time under Guardiola at Manchester City. So going out to Trino is probably the best thing that he needs. Yeah, and if you look back on some of the qualifiers for the Euros over the last two years, and probably even before that, he's come to England's rescue on quite a few times against supposedly inferior opposition. You know, when we've been either maybe only 1-0 up or it's been 0-0 at the time, uh, and we've got a little rocky patch in a game. I can recall several times where he's made really influential saves. So in in goalkeeping terms, he's he's not an old okay, he's not he's not twenty two anymore, but he's no not an old plastic goalkeeper by any means. No. Um speaking of players not treated very nicely and very well, did you see the Guardian article this week on the Everton player? I can't remember his name. Uh not even been given a locker um mm. oh what's his name? Do you remember do you know what I'm talking about? Umar Umar Nias. Yeah, I felt a bit sorry for him. Um I do. Um, I think he was, uh, I don't want to say anything libelous here, but he ended up at Everton and Christ knows how um, under Martinez. And it was blatantly obvious at the back end of last season, the fella looks like he's got his feet on the wrong legs, never mind his boots on the wrong feet. So not to be given a squad number and everything was completely understandable. But then his treatment thereafter probably is a little bit harsh. Not being given a lock is a bit crappy, isn't it? It is. It's not like we're skint anymore. We can't afford them. Exactly. Yeah, if you can afford thirty million for Yannick Bellassi. Exactly, we've got <laughs> we've got money to burn rather than no pots to piss in. Yeah, um, Dave uh, Wade Rooney was sub for this game. He was dropped for this. He didn't look particularly happy in the press conference beforehand, but it's he got booed against Malta, didn't he? When he missed a shot, um, and there's people been clambering this both for Manchester United and for England for quite some time. But to be fair to Wayne Rooney, he still turns up, doesn't he? And he still gives his all when he comes on the pitch, and he um, he still gives it his best when he doesn't have to. Yeah, but what what is his best now? I think Chris is the question, and I think that's where the you know obviously I'm Northern Irish, so I'm looking at it in a completely different way. You know, I look at his performances at United, and you know, there's a train of thought out there certainly that I'm led to believe that he won't be in the squad um, at, at United come November, certainly come Christmas, that things will change there, and. You know, he's certainly not the player he was. Um, you know, we we had uh, we had a preview of the game actually recorded uh, this week for for the cop table, which I recorded. And, and the United fan on there, he's actually head of uh, development at uh, Preston North End. He truly believes that Wayne Rooney, if he's sort of taken out of the squad for a while to get his head back again, that he can come back a better player. And you know, come back uh, like a la gigs. You know, he just his time on the pitch needs to be managed. And that could be the key to actually bringing back some kind of form and semblance of order to the, to, to the Wayne Rooney situation. Do you think but he's the moment, too hard. It could well be. You know, uh, we, we, we've seen it. You know, we, we, as Liverpool supporters, Chris, we saw it with Gerrard, and he just went off the, the edge of a cliff and, and struggled to deal with it, and, and we all struggled to deal with it. I think Rooney's could be suffering something similar. Um, you know, a little bit younger, I appreciate, and, and he's also on that big contract there at United, but. Again, you know, I find that the booing of Wayne Rooney from England fans is a tad disrespectful. You know, okay, 
you know, th- th- there's we laugh and joke as Celts about you know his scoring record against San Marino and you know the Vatican City and so on, but you, you can't take away those goals, and he is England's top goal scorer. And I, I don't care what you say, he, that that deserves a little bit of respect. And and you know, he all players get old; they, they they don't they don't last forever. It's the one thing that's very very sure is we we all get old and our talents will wane, whatever whatever walk of life we're in. And I think it's a little bit harsh on um, you know the treatment he was that he's been received because you know literally he, his game has has been, had to be adjusted. He was he was originally a striker. He's been moved into the midfield. I don't fancy him in that role. But again, maybe maybe I'll say what Andy had said on that other pod about taking him out for a while, getting his head together, and you know starting managing his game time a little bit better. And I think Southgate, you know, I I, I think Southgate wants this job at England from from what I'm reading, and. You know, I think he's pretty bold in in, in doing what he's doing. He, I think he'll have the balls actually to drop Rooney, and I, I think that'll be a good thing for England at the minute because I, I think a, a little time away maybe for, for Rooney to, to 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 gather himself and maybe to gather breath will be a good thing for 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 United and for England. Yeah, you think a bit of time to clear his head um, and come. I'm trying to think. Said someone, someone did that, didn't they? Not so long ago, there's someone. There was a footballer who did that. He sort of went away and came back, sort of a, a better player for it. I can't think. Of yeah, else. well, it was like it was like it's like how uh, Ferguson managed Giggs, for example. Yeah. Um. You, you know, he he realised, you know, this guy can't last a full game. He, you know, he's starting to go down, and just being very selective as as and when you use him. Yes, he'll still have a role, but it'll be a very different role than the main man that he's been used to. Um. You know, up until this point, don't get me wrong, he's still the highest earner, which is which is the headline, and it's always the sensational. Oh, what he's on three hundred grand a week or three hundred and whatever. But at, at the end of the day, that shouldn't come into it. That's what United have decided as a club they want to pay him and, and obviously give him that contract. Um, I, I can't see him moving away. He'll, he'll he'll wind his contract down there. So I, I think Mourinho will have to have to get a little bit creative, a little bit inventive as to to how to get the the best of what's left of Rooney. I think. Okay, Mark. Going back to something Dave said a minute ago, did you feel a sense of shame and disappointment when Gerard's powers started to wane? Um, it was so bad I had to have counselling. That's why you've been off, is it? Well. Uh, yeah, go on. I'm going to admit it now that it's it's something that's affected me ever since then. Deeply. Mm. Um, I listened to a different podcast earlier on this week, and they were suggesting uh, different because obviously Rooney's long term position is going to be a, um, as a substitute. We're going to need a different captain. Is it particularly important? And somebody did suggest Eric Dyer, which I thought was quite a good shout. That is a debate that's going to flip back and forward all the time. Whether a captain is important. Maybe, maybe it's not anymore. Maybe it wasn't ever. I don't know. I, I think it is important personally. Um, I would agree but, with you, Mark. But the, the the likes of the Brian Robsons going back to when I was a when I were a lad, um, the the players who you, you you know it was like he was going over the top of the trenches kind of player. Also a great footballer, by the way. But but also the he's getting up and down the pitch, getting stuck in, and having you know played to a good level myself. If you've got a captain on the pitch who leads by example, but also is the one geeing up the players, that, in my opinion, that does give that extra five or ten percent. And whoever you pick out of that team, okay, Rooney's been the captain for for a little while now. I don't think he's that type of person. Um, Jordan Henderson was there the other night. Jordan Henderson is neither the player nor the person to be that. Eric Dyer don't think so either. I, I don't see where, and, and even the centre halves. 
you know, you look at, say, Ashley Williams for Wales. He is that kind of guy. Gareth Southgate, and, uh, not Gareth Southgate, sorry, Gary Cahill and John Stones aren't either. They're not that person or that player either. So for England, I think we're crying out for that type of player, but we don't have one. So what we, so in, in, it's almost a token gesture now to give somebody the armband in, in respect of England. But there's very few generals left, Mark. You know, you talk That's about it. going back to the Robson, so that those, those type of players and that type of mentality, does it just it's lacking in today's game. And you, you know, it's maybe you know an age thing for me, where, where where I expect my captain to take a you know take a team by a scruff of the neck if they're down, mm-hmm. you know, to be in their faces. The likes of you know Luis Suarez for for Uruguay. You know, he is the standout talent. He, he leads by example. The, the, a lot of the players there are, are not of his caliber, but he drags them forward and he, you know, it's hard, hard in a sleeve. It's pure passion. And I just don't see that. Uh, certainly not in, in club football anymore. And it's, a, and it's a sadness. I think not only are the players not there, but maybe football has changed to such an extent that the game does not allow that type of player to flourish anymore. They don't have to kick people and, you know, go studs in to the thigh, Graham Sooner style or anything like that. But that that, that gets stuck in Stuart Pearce, Brian Robson, Graham Sooness, Vinnie Jones even. You know, modern day football, they don't thrive. They thrived 20, 30, 40 years ago when football was different. Nowadays, football is a totally different game because the rules and the interpretation of the rules and, and I think that has a bearing on it as well and therefore those type of players don't make it they maybe only get stuck at a certain level like League 2 or or something like that so you get all these fancy little tappy lappy players making it to the top and, and going to England's performance against Slovenia it goes deeper than the fact that this group of a player group of players don't aren't good enough really to, to make England a, a force in football but I think they're overcoached. They're, they're almost robotic, and there's no there's no thought to play fast or to play with it. I don't. How many play English players, for example, are not only the captain type, but how many clever players have England got? You pick a player like Iniesta, which is probably looking too high up the ladder of of, of quality. But even if he wasn't as good technically as he is now, he'd still be a hell of a player because of his vision and his brain and his awareness and the teammates around him also having that trait. You look at England players the other day and they're just so brainless. You know, so if they'd like that with the ball, how are they going to be that? They can't be have the captain mentality and see things and do things that are going to change the game in other ways. So I think English football has got lots of problems that is the national team that go far beyond just the current crop not being a good enough standard. Well, now you. But do you also feel that? that... Go on. Sorry, I'm just just thinking along the lines of you, you know the value of of international football in today's world, based against maybe twenty, thirty years ago, it used to be the biggest honour you could have. Um, to, to captain your country, and certainly, like you know, I, I grew up watching England games. You know, it was always on the BBC. Um, you know, the England captain and, and everybody wore it with pride, and and that pride just doesn't doesn't seem to be there. And I don't know whether it's just a, a dilution of of international football on the whole that the club game has has risen so high and become so important um, that the international game, especially in Europe, we don't. It's a bit different down here in South America. But in Europe, the Europe, uh, you know, like the likes of the qualifiers for the World Cup and everything, they're not they're not embraced the same way as they used to when I was a kid, and, and they just don't have the same significance. And, and I find that sad because I love international football, 
And I just see, when, when I see these international teams and you see the guy with the armband on, he just, you know, he's standing there like he swallowed a golf ball. There doesn't be any pride or passion in it. And, and I think that's where we've lost some of it as well. I can understand why someone wouldn't want to play international football, to be honest. If you play for your club and you're fairly, I mean, you think Raheem Sterling, someone like him, for example, or even Eric Dyer, you play for your club, you do a decent job, you've got 30,000 people every week cheering you on, and, you know, you're like the dog with two dicks. Um, you suddenly go to play international football, and it doesn't quite work out for you within the first 20 minutes at Wembley, and all of a sudden you're playing in front of people who week to week wouldn't necessarily support you. Some of these people support lower league clubs and aren't afraid to give it some to some flash Premier League git and all of a sudden you've got the crowd on your back and they're booing you straight away and you kind of think well on a personal level why bother I could be at home well it comes out of the mouth of footballers all the time now that the aspiration is not to play for England and and it not just this isn't limited only to English players um, but when you hear about the ambition of a player from a young age it's I want to play for Chelsea I want to play for a Champions League club I want to, uh, I want to win the Premier League. I want to get into the Premier League. That's the aspiration of footballers nowadays. It's not international football. Um, and you know, it, it's, it shows certainly in the English, uh, national team. I think it, it, under the microscope, that's where it looks the most obvious. Um, whether, I don't know why, I don't know why that is. Um, yeah, it could be the pressure of the media and, and our expectation of them that they don't, they don't actually want to be there because it's too much, but surely it should be greater for the club where the stakes are as high, if not higher. And I think the only, the only benefit to many of these young English players now of getting picked for England is it increases their brand and it sticks another 20% on top of their next contract after they make the national team. Yeah. Um, well, it wasn't as bad as maybe you're making out. England still sit top of their group, um, seven points. Uh, Lithuania and Slovenia are second and third. Scotland on four. Um, Slovakia on three. Malta on nil. Scotland beat Lithuania um, one nil, but then lost to Slovakia three nil. Uh, Slovenia no, beat Scotland. Scotland lost to Lithuania one nil. Oh, did they? Yeah, yeah, they got beat twice. Oh, did they? Sorry, I've got my ones. And no, zero sorry, the they drew one one. They drew one one. They got a last minute equaliser. Did they? Remember, yeah. I wrote this down a bit too quick. Um. Is it a derby? Slovenia, Slovakia? Can we make something out of that? It's the, um, an acronym derby, isn't it? They're both SLO. No, Slovakia is next door to Czech, the Czech Republic, Hungary, Austria. Oh no, I know where they are geographically. It's just they sound the same, similar kind of flags. Right, alright then. Okay, we will have them the, the slow derby. The slow derby, exactly. If you looked at the top left corner of the screen, would it have said slow, slow or something? I think it would say SLO or SVN and SVA, SVK, wouldn't it? I probably would do, wouldn't it? Mm-hmm. It was like when, um, do you when Denmark and Sweden played each other? Yes, that rolls into one, doesn't it? D, S, W, E, D, E, N. That's right. Exactly. Um, Group D, Austria 2, Wales 2 on Thursday. Uh, Republic of Ireland beat Georgia 1-0. And then Wales drew 1-1 with Georgia and Ireland beat Moldova 3-1. So you've got Serbia and Republic of Ireland top with seven points. Wales on five. Um, Northern Ireland, Dave. Ah, what can I say? I thought you, <laughs> you tweeted some pictures and you kind of look like a mixture between of a Brit abroad and Colonel Kurtz in Apocalypse Now. Oh, it's, well, put it like this, we'll, we'll get, we'll get, come on to it a little bit further when we get, when we reach South America. It's, you know, I, I've been here just over five years and 
the the the, the national team in, in Brazil have been so awful that that the, the public don't really buy into it. And that was the first street party pre a Brazil game, which happened to clash with the Northern Ireland game. So I had this awful stream on my phone for the Germany game. And, you know, personally, I think 2-0 in, in Germany is, is a great result for Northern Ireland at the moment. Um, you know, keeping the goals down because that German team is, you know, they're the world champions and, and we're a country of one million people. We've got, you've got to put your perspectives in order. Um, you know, we, we, a 4-0 result against San Marino, uh, flattered to deceive really because it was only 1-0 up until I think the 78th minute and the, the goals came at the end and when San Marino were down to 10 men. So it, it sort of masked the, 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 the reality of that score really. Uh, but again, we're Northern Ireland. We'll take a 1-0 against San Marino. We'll take three, any three points that we're given. I think that's the difference in, in mentality there. But certainly the, the, the Brazilians here were, were very confused as to why I would be celebrating a 2-0 loss. I did remind them it was better than a 7-1 loss in your own backyard, but that didn't go down very well. <laughs> uh, but uh, again, you know, Northern Ireland, I would love to see doing well. Michael O'Neill, who I would like to talk about, is just, I, I just hope the Premier League, I stay away from him. Because what this guy's doing with, with the, well, the lack of resources that he has, you know, the, what limited resources that this guy has, he has moved mountains and we saw in the Euros and, you know, I know we're slightly lucky to get through to the knockout phase, but at the end of the day, had it not been for Gareth Bale, we we had the beating of Wales as well out there. It took a moment of brilliance from Bale to to, to undo us. And Gareth Bale. Oh well, the poor old Gareth. Well, you know we can't blame him for that one. It was it was a quality ball into the middle. There's no two ways about it from Bale. Um, and you know we're we're in dreamland. No, no matter what. Um, you know we we've, we're on the back of this Euros. Um, as I say, we may have lost the the match two 0 but certainly we win the sing, singing competition every time. Um, as I say that there's a real buoyancy. You know, I was back home again uh, during the Euros, and and you know, the, 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 like Northern Ireland is absolutely bouncing about football. I mean, there's like, it's like a rebirth. It's almost back to you know '82 and '86 those days, and you know, it, it, it's it's wonderful to see that they've got the fan parks down at the uh, the Titanic Centre now for the games and so on, and and the games are selling out. Even San Marino, they're sold out. Uh, people people have an interest in the national team again, and it's and it's almost the, the complete you know, polar opposite of what of what's happening in England at the minute. Um, you know, the, the pride is still there. I take it as you know, it's a smaller nation and a smaller nation mentality as well. You know, we celebrate a two 0 loss against Germany as a good result. Uh, as we as we celebrated the one 0 loss in in the Euros, you know, we, we saw that as the key to maybe sneaking through into a third place spot. And you know, it's, it's all about your perspective on it. It's all it's all what you want. But so far, so good for Northern Ireland. Um, you know, the, we've got Germany out of the way. We do treat Germany very badly at home. So I'll be interested to see how that one pans out as well. But, you know, Michael O'Neill, I think, is one of those managers in football who is an unsung hero. He deserves an awful lot more credit than, than what he's getting. And as I say, long may it continue. I just hope that, you, you know, these Premier League teams keep their eyes off him and let him get on with his job there because he is doing exceptional, exceptional work. I've not seen a link with the Premier League club, which is very strange. Exactly, and it's great, Chris. Oh, and yeah. shh, don't, don't whisper it because we don't want to lose this guy. Um, as I say, that you know, a decent manager like this who who really is overachieving. And you imagine, you know, the lower end of the Premier League, seeing seeing what he's getting out of uh, out of you know, not the greatest players in the world. There's players in our team playing the conference. You know what I mean for, for the national team playing the conference, and he's got them into a winning mentality. And, you know, the the first thing he's got is they're virtually unbeatable. They're solid. 
they're, they're playing for each other. They, they may be limited, but they play to the strengths and they cover the weaknesses of each other. And it's, it's, it's a really lovely thing to see. And, it, and it's, it's back to sort of the old style football as well. It's durable. Sometimes it's not so easy on the eye. I, I, I'll give you that. But, you know, when, when you're, when you're bought into it with national pride and your heart's in it, you, you don't really care if you're, if you're scraping results and getting, you know, getting a draw where you shouldn't get it. It's, it's, it's all about that as a minnow. You know, get doing stuff that you're not really meant to do. And Michael O'Neill has us doing that. And, and I just love him for it. Michael O'Neill, Mark? Uh, well, as a Premier League manager? Uh, yeah, go on. As a Premier League manager, what do you reckon? Um, Perhaps the reason why nobody from the Premier League seems to be looking at him is maybe he's viewed too much of a nice guy. And maybe the previous record of the last, say, I don't know, three or four Northern Ireland managers when they've done that job and come back to the Premier League, however well they've done, you know, was it Laurie Sanchez, Nigel Worthington? Uh, I don't know who, who else has managed Northern Ireland in the last decade or so. Laurie Sanchez? Yeah, Sanchez. I said yeah, Laurie Sanchez. Larry McManamy was before that, and so um, McElroy was before that. Yeah, maybe there's like a maybe there's not a stigma, but maybe it's just not viewed by Premier League clubs as any as, as a worthy job. You know, Sanchez got some a few decent results, didn't he? He got the Fulham job, didn't he, on the back of it? Yeah, yeah he beat England. He did, <laughs> and, yeah, and, 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 and forever a legend before that. And yeah, we, we got the three-three that time against Spain as well. Um, but again, we do stupid things at Windsor Park. That, that, that is sort of par for the course and have done since I was a kid. We've done stupid things at Windsor Park, beating people we shouldn't. And the atmosphere there is completely intimidating to go to. It's a big atmosphere when teams come there. You know, we, we, we've beaten Germany home and away. We've beaten Germany, I think, three times there in our history. You know, so it, it's a it's a hostile place to go, but it, it, it's a fun place to be as well. Well, you're, Germany are top on nine points in Group C. Azerbaijan for seven and you're on four we're very early stages aren't they because in this section only the top team goes through don't they so the second place teams then go into the playoff is that right that, that's correct in this group yeah so presumably you and Azerbaijan are going to fight it out for second place well I think you know the key to the whole thing is Germany it's about you know even we got a draw at home against Germany I think that's that's a good platform for us and it's, and it's about holding our nerve. As we saw against San Marino, you know, the result looked good, but in reality, it took very, very late and it took a sending off to, to start the, the wave of goals. And also, you know, you have Kyle Lafferty there, um, who's, who's at Norwich and can't get a game at Norwich. You put him on the pitch for Northern Ireland, he just scores for fun. And, and, and we used to have this with David Healy as well, who couldn't get a game at Leeds, but put him in a Northern Ireland shirt, he scored for fun. And it's, it's a weird phenomenon with Northern Ireland players. And the problem at the minute is that, that Michael O'Neill has said he can't start Kyle Lafferty because he doesn't feel his fitness is there because he's not getting the games. And hopefully he'll get a move in January to get first-team football again and, and build the fitness up. So at the moment, we're looking at him as a 30-minute sub. And, you know, so those those are the problems that we face as a small nation. You know, our players can't even get game times. Um, at the clubs that they're at. So this is what, this is what to me sets Michael O'Neill apart at the moment because he's managing the, the paltry resources that he has to perfection. Okay. Um, Sam Marino scored, didn't they? Did everybody see this? First time, first away goal in 15 years. Did you see years. their tweet? <laughs> I saw their <laughs> tweet, yeah. The tweet? <laughs> they outscored Brilliant. England, Ireland and Scotland in, in, on Tuesday night, they said. Did everybody see the Norwegian TV presenters? No. Yeah, it's been all over Twitter, that, hasn't it? Yeah, what do they do? 
They were just jumping around like loonies. I haven't had the sound on, and if I did, they're probably shouting in Norwegian, and it's a, a language I don't speak. But yeah, they were all going a bit batshit. Well, they turned the lights off as well, didn't they? Did they? Yeah. Very, very odd. Um, okay, so other results from elsewhere. Group I, um, Kosovo have faced a bit of a baptism of fire in international football. They lost 6-0 at home to Croatia. That's a local derby, isn't it, Mark? Uh, yeah, laced with a few connotations, I'm sure. Yeah, uh, and then they lost 3-0 to the Ukraine. That was a home game for the Ukraine, but they played it in Krakow in Poland because I don't think Ukraine still recognised Kosovo. Um, so Croatia are top in that group with Iceland, uh, both on seven points. Group A, France beat Bulgaria 1-0. That was revenge for 1994. Was that Kostadinov, wasn't it? I can't remember who scored the goal, but yeah, I, I remember that, um, was it Ginola never played for France again? Yeah, it was all Ginola's fault, wouldn't he? He gave the ball away and Gerard Hulia right. never picked him again. Um, right. Holland nil, France won. Paul Pogba scored. Um, although Holland did win 4-1 against Belarus. I think that was their first home win in six matches, which if you think about it for Holland, is a very strange statistic. France and Sweden top on seven points and Holland are on third and four. Um, group B, Switzerland are top on nine points, Portugal on six points. Um, Portugal scored 12 goals. They beat Andorra 6-0 and then the Faroe and 6-0. And Group G, this is Italy-Spain. Did anybody see anything from this? Uh, yeah, I watched a bit of the first half, and it was it was all Spain. It was, wasn't it? Um, and then it, I, I turned over. And I think I must, it must have been the England game. I suppose I started watching. But yeah, I, I was having watched about twenty minutes, half an hour of the first half. I was shocked that Italy got a draw. Buffon had a bit of a moment, didn't he? Did, very did, uncommon that, as well. <laughs> very what? Sorry. You're very uncommon. It's not yeah. what you associate with Gigi Buffon. You know, he's just such a wonderful player and a bloody legend. And, uh, you know, but all goalkeepers have a clangor here and there. Sadly, it, it, it happened for him there. But I think Spain were, you know, for, I, I only saw highlights of it, to be honest with you, Chris. And the highlights that I did see sort of, you know, you've got the, the, that Italian defense. It's always dogged. Um, but certainly, you know, the Liga guys that I know would say that, you know, Spain are, are a, the worry for Spain, I think, at the minute is, is a striker. They're not particularly fussed on uh, Diego Costa. And I don't think that he's really of the standard for the for the Spain team, which I find quite kind of curious. Um, you know, certainly not of the of the David Villa um, ilk. But I think a, a point there suits both of them. It leaves them both on seven, and uh, you know, Spain have have the home tie to come. So you would imagine that Spain's going to top that one. Well, I was listening to your Serie A podcast the other day, and they were talking about the fact that the games against Spain are key because. If you can imagine, you, you're pretty much going to beat Albania and Israel if you're Italy. So you have to, they have to take something off of Spain um, in the away fixture. Otherwise, then you know you're pretty much playing for that second spot in the playoff. And they only just beat it, uh, Macedonia, didn't they? They were two one down to Macedonia. And they scored in the last minute, wasn't it, to win three two? But they were. I actually saw. I saw the middle portion of this live, and uh, they were so poor. But Macedonia, or maybe maybe I'm just being selling Macedonia short. They, they they were very good, but Italy just seemed so flat. But they did come alive at the end, and you know the two quick goals at the end, and, and turned it around. But up until that point, it was very un-Italian. Yeah, Gerald Piquet's announced his retirement for Spain as well, isn't he? After the next World Cup. But he's kind of suggested there's more sort of Machiavellian forces at work. Has anyone seen this? No, Shakira put a foot down. Well, no, I think he's saying, 
he's kind of suggested that there's other forces within the dressing room that mean he can't play. He's in trouble as well for his shirt. Did anybody see this? No. Nope. <laughs> no. He uh, he said he doesn't like playing in shorts in long sleeves, or the long sleeves were annoying him on this particular shirt. But So he cut the sleeves short so he could sort of feel a bit more freedom in his arms. The only problem is, is... Uh, the very pro-Catalan Ger- uh, Gerard Piquet cut the sleeves just next to the Spanish flag, so there's no Spanish flag on his sleeve. I hear tumbleweed, but apparently that's a big thing in Spain. Mm, bit of politics there. Yeah, people are wondering whether he did it on purpose or not. Maybe he did. If he if he's going to be dropping out the whole thing, then maybe it was like a two fingers or the Catalan thing, maybe. Yeah, exactly. That's what they're um, they're insinuating. Um, mm, but there, there is, there is that sentiment there, without a doubt. You know, I've been to Barcelona a few times, and they, they certainly don't consider themselves Spanish. It's a very, you know, the, the, the Catalan thing is very, very strong. Yeah. Oh no, definitely, definitely. Much like the Cornish English thing down here. Definitely tumbleweed there. Yeah, I know you've got your own language in that, haven't you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, right, just a quickie from the Asian qualifying, because I had some of that as well. Uh, they, they split into two groups. Um, group A, uh, Syria beat China 1-0. Syria played their games over in Oman, um, and then they lost to Qatar. Uh, group B, Australia had two draws with Saudi Arabia and Japan. So Group A, Iran are on 10 points, Uzbekistan on 9 points, uh, South Korea on 7, Qatar on 4. Group B is Saudi on 10 points, Australia on 8, Japan on 7, UAE on 6. Um, Commonable, Dave. Oh, it's where the fun's at, Chris. <laughs> it is, isn't it? Well, unless you're Argentinian, of course. Well, I don't, well, that is really the big story of these qualifiers, if, 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 if we condense it in. Um, you know, so what, it's what the case to of... to Argentina then? How do they get on? Basically, Argentina went to Peru and uh, managed only a draw without Messi, it must be said. And basically, this, this Argentinian side then followed that up at home in the Mario Campos Stadium, losing 1-0 to Paraguay. Um, at home, and they now sit fifth in the group. And without Messi, they just look, it's just like a rudderless ship. The only games they win are with Messi, aren't they? Uh, absolutely. And it, it it's bizarre. We don't know whether, you know, we, we, we did a South American pod last night, and, and, and the discussion was in and around this. You know, whether it's it's something to do with the new management there, um, how much longer he has to, to, to turn it around. But certainly when you consider the talent pool, you know, when you consider, especially, um, you know, especially from from the attacking point of view, Argentina should be blowing the majority of these teams in South America away, either home or away, with or without Messi. But they are labouring, and 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 Aguero missed a penalty against Paraguay, who I, I may add are my sort of second. They have a little bit of my heart in Paraguay. I, I, I love the place, and I love their style of football. I love the way they're so combative. I love the way they're just they just don't give a shit about anything. You know, it's, you throw your best at us, and we'll stand up to it. And I love that attitude, that that South American belligerence, if you will. And they were very, very good value for their three points. Um, Argentina, as I say. They shoot, they have the talent, they have the resources, they have magnificent players, but they just can't seem to formulate them into any kind of a team. And it must be down. Obviously, there's, there's huge problems with the AFA. We, it's very well documented, but this new management, it's, it's just not clicking. And, you know, we had the, I forget, oh, good question. I forget his name at at this moment in time. Oh, it's Pizzi. No, it. Pizzi? 
Pitsy, that's I've said that uh, I wasn't a hundred percent sure, and I just don't think that he's going to do. Certainly, the guys in South America here would would, would echo that. That it, you know, it, it's it's a massive part of what's going wrong in Argentina uh, is down to this. You know, they lost to Copa America Centenario again um, at the final stages, and there's just it's just like a misfiring car, Argentina at the moment. Um, and it, it's hard to watch because I do have a soft spot for them, and I always, I always enjoy Argentinian football. I love their league as well. I get the impression. Um, it, I get the impression Higuain's a bit of a choker. For, certainly for Argentina, he 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 always has been. He's certainly not the player that you see at at, at club level. Well, I saw him, um, but that, was, I saw him miss a penalty for Napoli. There was basically it was the last game of the season between them and Lazio, and whoever scored or whoever won and got a Champions League, and he missed a penalty, and then. That was about three or four weeks before the World Cup, and of course he missed that massive chance in the final, didn't he? Yeah, I think he missed an open goal in that game as well. Yeah. <laughs> the the one nil against Paraguay, basically an open goal he missed. Um, again, I, I never understood that transfer. I never understood the fee of that transfer, if you if you know what I mean. The Juventus. Don't get me wrong, his goal scoring record in the last couple of seasons, club wise, has been outstanding. But I've I don't really watch enough of Italian football to say, wow, this guy's awesome. Anything that I see is basically highlights, and and there's more sort of errors than there are good things about him. And certainly for Argentina, I've yet the same. You know, the, there's never been a game that I've gone, wow, you know, he is standout. Um, but but then that, that could be the same for for Aguero. It's the same for De Maria as well. You know, uh, the only one that that, that I, I say plays blood and thunder, heart and soul for Argentina would be uh, Javier Mascarano. Uh, what you see is what you get with that guy. You know, and and it doesn't what it, what you see at club level is exactly what you get at, at international level. Uh, but the, the the signs are ominous here for Argentina. Their next game, they're coming here actually to to Belo Horizonte uh, to play Brazil, and. You know they're coming to play a Brazil side who are a very very different proposition than the, than the one you know we were discussing on on WFI about the possibility of Brazil not actually making this World Cup, not making the cut while Dungo is still there. Cheech has come in and four games in, um, completely unbeaten, free flowing football, boarding on nearly on samba football. Dare I say it? And you know, young Gabby Jesus has just taken to international football like a duck to water. Uh, four goals in four games and I think two assists. Um, arriving at Manchester City in January and, you know, Sergio Aguero will have his breath and feel his breath on the back of his neck already because if this kid is able to adapt the, to the Premier League the way he's adapted to uh, international football, uh, the Premier League's in for a big shock. Imagine next season you've got Sergio Aguero, Gabby, uh, Gabriel Jesus and Marlos Moreno all up front charging at you and you're some poor central defender. Well, there, well, the state of defending in the Premier League and the state of defence basically throughout the world game at the minute, that, that is a frightening proposition. I'll say this kid, Gabby Jesus, you know, six months ago, is, uh, you know, we were begged the question, you know, put put in order, descending order, who's the best, Marlis Moreno, Gabby Gall or Gabby Jesus? And, you know, we, we, we were we were debating over whether it was Gabby Gall or Gabby Jesus. It was a, you know, basically a wafer between them. In the last six months, Gabby Jesus has kicked on. I mean, incredibly. It's, it's almost like he's just raised two or three levels. And he's head and shoulders way above the other two at the minute, miles ahead of them. And it just happened in, the spirit, in this space of six months, which also sort of coincided with his um, his inclusion in the Brazil national team. And, you know, Cheech has, has been a breath of fresh air, as I say. Neymar missed the game um, against uh, Venezuela in Venezuela due to suspension. Um, he, he played here in Natal in the 5-0 against Bolivia. And, uh, you know, really Brazil look as good with Neymar as they do without him. 
uh, at the moment, and that's a really, really good thing. It's a thing that we never saw under Dunga because when Neymar wasn't available or, or injured or, or suspended as he as he always was because he was running around with that armband like a headless chicken and got himself sent off and needless yellow cards, needless incidents. Um, you know, the armband at this time was handed to Felipe Luis, who just carried it with ease. Awesome at ease, he carried the armband and didn't didn't have any effect on him whatsoever. And you know, for, and you know, when we see the antics of Neymar with 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 the armband for Brazil, and I understand that he's the 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 marquee player of this this nation, this football obsessed nation, but it, it it always sort of grates me to to see him in the, in the Brazil shirt because he just tries so hard. He thinks he needs to do everything. Cheech has basically come out and said now that that Neymar needs to to, to wise up basically and show a little bit more maturity for the national team, whereas Dunga just basically let him off a leash to do whatever he wanted. Cheech has basically put him into the role that he, we see in Barcelona. He has a role. He is a, ro- a part of a team as opposed to being the team with, with Dunga. And, and, and it's brilliant. Um, you know, it's brilliant from a Brazilian point of view. As I say, the street parties are starting here before games, you know, 10 o'clock in the morning, the game's at 10 o'clock at night, and the parties are starting in the street. So it's, it's the way I always imag- imagine Brazilian football would be and, and the way that people embrace it. And and it's, and, it's, and it's great to see at the moment. Brazil are top, aren't they? Uh, Twenty-one points. So how, so how many go through automatically? Is it four? You go f- the, the the top four, and then the fifth will play off against uh, the Oceanic region, uh, which generally ninety-nine, yeah, ninety-nine point nine percent of the time is going to be New Zealand. Okay, so you have got Brazil on twenty-one points, um, Uruguay twenty points. You've got a rather a het up Uruguayan lady on your podcast, haven't you? We have indeed, um, Jesse, and she, well, she she was actually delighted with uh, w- with this particular round of games and in the, in the international break. Um, you know, ultimately, it's it's all about nobody cares who's first, second, third, or fourth. It's those first four point or places and getting there. It's, it's it's all that matters. Um, I think at the moment the, the the point of interest for 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 going forward is say Argentina have have that game in uh, Belo Horizonte against Brazil. Their next game is then against Colombia, who are no mugs. At the moment, um, and and again, Argentina. If if they fail, you know, I, I don't see Argentina beating Brazil at the moment. Um, even with Messi, I don't see them beating them uh, in in Brazil because, as I say, the people have have come back on side with the national team. The stadiums are just full of passion again, the way they should have been, the way I, we always saw them as kids. Um, you know, so the Argentina, the old enemy, are going to get a baptism of fire down there. Um, and they would need to, you know, they're not, Argentina are not scoring a great deal for, for all the, ri- the riches of, of talent they have. But the, the interesting story is that Chile are chasing them down. Um, you know, Chile are up and down at the moment, but they've got all their difficult games out of the way. And the next few for Chile are, are very, very winnable. So if Argentina start dropping the points and Chile start uh, start picking them up, this fifth place and you know, well, the fourth and fifth place in this particular group could be very very interesting. But I think we we would be remiss not to mention Ecuador and all of this who sit third and possibly the story of the year, never mind of <laughs> of these uh, World Cup qualifiers in uh, either Valencia who had played against Chile um, in the game and uh, was they they were meant to arrest him. Because he owed the child support agency um, something like uh, fifteen hundred dollars or something in, yes, in back you, payment. Did you see this? <laughs> Mark, did you see, uh, and and Valencia and his Benny oh, Hill. Oh yeah, yeah. They're chasing them after after him like some sort of Benny Hill scene. 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, well he, they were trying to arrest him actually before the game, and they decided no. You know, it's the national team let him play. So there was basically a police escort up and down the, the touchline uh, every time he touched the ball. So about I think it was about the eighty fourth minute he went down like a like a ton of shit. I think's the best way. Feigning injury onto a, a, a stretcher, and the police running after the stretcher to arrest him, and and uh, so. <laughs> He, the lawyers apparently got together and uh, resolved the situation for them, and and everything was fine. So he returned again um, for for the for the next game and proceeded like Lazarus to to rise from his stretcher and score two. Um, as 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 Adam Brandon said to me last night, uh, you know it, it's the two goals. It was it was two each between uh, Bolivia and Ecuador, and Pablo Escobar had scored two, and. <laughs> And our old friend, Mr. Valencia, scored two. So it was South America's most wanted had scored four goals. <laughs> oh, everyone's all happy. Um, okay, so you've got Brazil, 21 points, Uruguay, 20, Ecuador, 17, Colombia, 17, Italy, top four, and Argentina on 16 at the minute. So that's international games done. Chaps, would you like to talk about the Premier League? It's back this weekend. Wow, feels like it's been away a long time. It does actually, doesn't it? Yeah. You see, that's the difference, guys. I think with 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 me in South America, we we love the qualifiers down here. I barely miss the Premier League. Um, do you know what? I don't so much miss the Premier League. My Saturday evenings entertainment is watching. Um, do you watch this, Mark, on Channel Five, the football league program? No, I tend to be watching something else at the same time. X Factor. Unfortunately, yes. Is it? <laughs> Well, yeah, I, kind of. It's a it's a Saturday night thing to do in our house. You know, I have to I have to bend a little bit. I get, I, you know, I she gives concessions all the time in terms of uh, my evenings doing football related things. So Saturday night is family night. Let's say you miss Chris Iwilumo. He's the best dressed pundit. Have you seen him? I've seen him on, the, on other stuff. Yeah, he's uh, he's a sharp looking chap. He's all that. He's always. Take, it's quite nice actually because when you see pundits now they sort of wear shirt and trousers well this guy's in a tie with a handkerchief in his blazer pocket and everything mm. it's very good uh, right well the early kickoff is uh, Chelsea versus Leicester this is the uh, the Frank Sinclair derby is it not? yeah yeah Frank Sinclair yeah, Dennis for Wise sure. Dennis Wise yeah, yeah. Uh, who else? There must be. There's a, certainly a lot more. There has to be more than that. I, there's a few. Erlen Johnson, do you remember him? He's the one that dived in the FA Cup. In yes, 97. I remember him. We just sent a half. Exactly. Uh, okay, so um, I saw a tweet. Does anyone follow Game of Throwings? Yes. Uh, did you see a tweet from him today saying betting suspended on Conte getting sacked? I didn't. He. I didn't see it from him, but I've seen it in the last hour or so. So a Chelsea. Why well, would they sack him? Exactly. <laughs> Are they going to be manager? Am I, am I missing something here? <laughs> well, the tweet I saw said something that something along the lines that Thomas Tuchel has been has had some sort of falling out with Borussia Dortmund, and maybe that's um, maybe that people are putting two and two together against five. I find that really hard to believe. I mean, this is actually at Stamford Bridge. But it it would be typically Chelsea, wouldn't it? It really would be typically Chelsea. Yeah. And it's a Stamford Bridge. Can anyone see Leicester getting anything from this? Leicester sitting 12th. Um, Chelsea are 7th. Um, there's about six points between the pair of them. I see a nil-nil. Yeah? Yeah, I think they're going to bore each other to death. 
Okay, Mark, what do you reckon? Um, yeah, I probably think very similar to Dave. Leicester haven't fired yet, as was expected. They were never going to hit the heights of next year. Um, Vardy and Mahrez in particular, but they're on everybody's watch list now, aren't they? Um, and I haven't been in, really impressed by Chelsea that, from what I've seen. I don't, I don't see them being a heck of a lot better than they were for most of last season. So I could see this being quite a dour draw. Okay. Um, Chelsea average 1.71 goals per match, Leicester 1.14. So you, you could well be right. Um, three o'clock kickoffs. AFC Bournemouth versus Hull. Mark, any derbies for this one? <laughs> <laughs> I just, I was um, racking my brains earlier on for this. Yeah, you've probably got to go back a long way in history for for it, and that kind of knowledge of lower league teams as they were once upon a time is way beyond me. I think so. Um, Bournemouth are 13th. Hull, who have now appointed Mike Feenan as permanent manager officially. Um, after a good start, they're now down in 15th. They've they've lost a few, haven't they? They've lost three out of their last four. Mm-hmm. I, w- I would go with Bournemouth for this. I think, uh, I think they're not a bad team. Hull, as you said, they started well, but in reality, they're going to struggle to... I don't know. I wouldn't. I wouldn't fancy them winning five games for the rest of the season. No, I. Yeah, I agree with you. What do you reckon? Um, what do you reckon, Dave? Do you see anything other than a Bournemouth win with Jack Wilshere? Absolutely, Jack Wilshere. I, I don't. I, I sort of like what Bournemouth are doing, and I really hope that they survive. I just, I just think that they're like a breath of fresh air to the Premier League. I, I, I'm hoping they should win this one. As you say, Hull did start well. They got some points on the board, which is great for them. And it might, it might actually be key for them towards the end of the season in their survival, the, the start that they had. But at the moment, they, they, they do look a bit rudderless. Yeah. Um. Arsenal versus Swansea. Uh, since we've gone on an international break, Swansea have changed their manager. They've got rid of Francesco Guidolin on his birthday, um, and they brought in Bob Bradley, the American Bob Bradley. I tried to explain to my kids that losing your job and getting £2 million payoff on your birthday is actually a bad thing, but they didn't believe me. <laughs> trying to make a case against it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I was trying to say, actually, this is a really bad thing. This man's lost his job. And they said, yes, but he's got all that money. I think, well, yeah, okay. Um, Mark, our friend Chris Sutton, with a bit of casual racism over the last couple of weeks, have you seen this? Uh, no, go on, let's hear it. Well, pretty much along the lines of both him and Robbie Savage are equally perplexed that Ryan Giggs uh. Uh, was not was passed over for this job. Basically, they said that Ryan Giggs knows the Premier League inside out with all four mm. games of his management experience. And who's this Bradley fella anyway? What's he ever done? Well, there was a, there was an article, I think it was by Savage, probably written by somebody who knows how to either use a pen or type on a keyboard um, and spell long words. That Savage had written along those lines, you know, that how dare gigs not be given the job and all, you know, all the young British coaches should be given the opportunities and, you know, shouldn't be made to start from the bottom and all, you know, all that kind of nonsense. And then there was an article that I retweeted actually, um, on Football 365 that absolutely pulled Savage's article to bits quite rightly as well, because it was all a load of nonsense. Um, you know, the gig should be given a job having turned up at the interview and been quite poor in an interview. Like if I went for a job to, to, you know, to be a policeman and came across like a, you know, not particularly interested and about as qualified as a lollipop man to do that job, then I wouldn't get the job. So why, why is the, um, uh, the insistence of ex pros that Ryan Giggs should walk straight into a job in, in a, a decent Premier League club, you know, and maybe, the, you know, maybe, Giggs went into the interview thinking actually Swansea was beneath him, but 
he needed to get out of the house a bit. Well, I think he's been kicked out of the house, hasn't he, in recent weeks? <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's true. He's probably <laughs> kipping down on Skulls' sofa or something. <laughs> I think so. Um, hang on. I think we've lost Dave. Davey there? He's gone. Dave? Sorry, did the whole thing drop or was it just me? Uh, no, just you. Oh, my apologies, I'm here. My That's apologies. Right. That's no problem. Um, yeah, we'll just talk about Swansea and um, uh, um, Bob Bradley. It's I kind of feel this poor... Arsenal. Guy's... Yes, Arsenal. Uh, or Bob Bradley at Swansea when they play Arsenal. I kind of feel that Bradley's on a bit of a hiding to nothing now because he's got miserable sods like Savage and Sutton already calling him out because Swansea didn't employ their mate. Um, I think any time this guy gets a bad result, they're going to say, ah, that's because they didn't go for someone, blah, 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 blah. I see him as the type of guy who will actually thrive on that and, and kind of want to, you know, stick, stick one finger up because the Americans don't do the whole two fingers. Um, stick a finger up to the likes of him and say, so he'll, he'll take that and spur him on. And I think Swansea's a good job for him to come into. Um, although they have been going through managers at some fair rate of knots recently when everybody thinks of Swansea as a, as a team that gives their managers time. But I think Bradley's a very good coach. I, I think he's on a hiding to nothing. Mm. Yeah. I, I think from the American, from, from the American aspect, you know, it's the first time we've had an American coach in, in, in the English Premier League. And I think that the media will have the knives out from, from day one. And will take great delight in sticking them in at every opportunity they get. And I think he's, it's a poison chalice for him. I really do hope he succeeds. I hope he, you know, he, he gets time there, uh, because he does seem to know his football and he does seem to be a good coach. But I just worry, you, you know, we saw it with, with so many coaches and so many managers over the year, you know, and, and this being the first American, he's going to be scrutinized and over scrutinized by our media. And I just, I just worry for him. I don't think it's particularly. I think it's a particular set. There's a particular section of the media over here, and they're ex-player pundits. And these are the same ex-player pundits that think Wayne Rooney should be starting for England and Manchester United. Um, it's a very sort of close clique. Do you see this, Mark? When you see sort of football focus and stuff, it's an entitlement, isn't it? And none of them want to call. Okay, Sutton. Ex- Sutton's probably one of the exceptions who doesn't really give a shit what he says, but. Um, they're all very. Uh, I mean, Wayne, the Wayne Rooney thing is all is is probably the best current example of that. That none of them seem to want to put the knife into Rooney to say that he's finished, his legs have gone, he's not the player he was. They probably did the same. They they do it kindly, but they don't come out and say what is blatantly obvious on the pitch uh, about a lot of their colleagues or if it's friends of theirs who have gone into management. Um, they tiptoe around it and. It is a, it's a total sense of entitlement and uh, they circle the wagons and, and try to protect their own. Um, and, and that makes for, first of all, it's boring punditry, but secondly, it makes them look, it makes them look daft because they trot out the same old nonsense lines without, and that's why they get so much grief is because they, they, they kind of inadvertently, indirectly treat us all like idiots, like we don't know what we're watching and we need their words of wisdom. To, to see what we can all see, you know, just because you played football doesn't mean you can talk football particularly well. That's my personal opinion. No, I think you're quite right. Um, Manchester City, Everton, Peter Reid, Derby. Peter Reid, Alan Harper, Howard Kendall. Paul Power? Paul Power, Peter Beagree, uh, Asa Hartford. That's a few, isn't it? 
Yeah, there's a, there's a load. Oh, well, there'll be John Stones this weekend, won't there? John Stones, yeah, that's right. So is he going to... Where's this going? This is the Etihad, isn't it? So is he going to yeah. be a happy man come quarter to five? I would say so. I mean, City still have their issues at the back. Um, but it's whether you can get the ball off them long enough. And forever... I mean, if you look at Manchester City's most crucial players, it's David Silva and Sergio Aguero. Uh, and if they and they they play brilliantly four games out of five across the season, if you look at Everton's creative players, and you would say De La Feo, Morales, Balassi, now uh, Barkley, Lukaku, you say the opposite. They play well one in five, and that that's Everton's problem is consistency. On their day, they could you know give anybody a hiding. The problem is getting one or all of them to play that one one game where they play well. Um, on a more regular basis and all at the same time. The one good thing for Everton is they've tightened up at the back this season. Ashley Williams has had a big say in that, but also Koeman sets the fullbacks further back, that they're not as attacking as they once were under Martinez. So I've got more faith in Everton at the back than I did last year. But whether they can keep Aguero, Silva, De Bruyne, if he's fit, and Sterling, the way he's playing since the start of the season, whether they can keep all of those quiet... Um, I don't know. The the only hope, I guess, is that they're more their players are more jaded from internationals than ours. I would fancy City to is win. De, is De Bruyne back for this one, uh, Mark? I, they're talking about that he could be, yeah, because he's been out about three or four weeks, and I've read a few things saying that he could be back. Whether he starts or not, I don't know. Maybe they won't risk him because they've got about five games coming up in the next two weeks, City. So maybe they won't risk him against Everton because they might see Everton as the least important of those four games. I don't know the full schedule of who they're playing. Obviously, European games must I be. Think it's Barcelona. They have, yeah, yeah, yeah. So maybe they won't. Maybe they won't risk him, but they've got enough resources, I think, to cover that. So I, I would say that City should get away with probably I would I would go just the, the standard two nil. If well, we get away with a two nil and, and play well, I think although we're in a little bit of a rut at the minute, I would I would take that right now. There's a counterbalance to that though, Dave. Um City drew nil nil with Everton at home last last year, last well, in January, uh last season. Um and they've only got one one in three. Cheer it mark up. Exactly. They're not. They're not coming into it on on off a hot streak by any any sorts of the imagination. And they've also, as as we've mentioned, they've got that game um, against Barcelona. And I think you know, City City really really do need to lay a marker down in Europe now. That's the next. That's the next thing for you know. They, they've won the Premier League, but they're still like honestly, they're still very watery in Europe. They have no. They've no history there they're, they're not trying you know and in recent times they're, they're not making any inroads into making any history there except for failure so i think guardiola will be very aware of that and i do think that everton might be able to sneak a draw because of the one eye you know number one you've got you've got the players coming back um after after two weeks away and you know there's that bit of rustiness getting them back together again this is a great time i think for everton to, to, to play them and also they're not coming in off a high of their last experiences of playing together um, De Bruyne probably won't start, as you say, and he's been the key to, to everything good that City has done in, in the games they have played well. And, you know, I, I think Everton stand a chance of nicking a point. There you go, Mark. Do you feel better now? No. Yeah, if it had been, if it, going back to the um, David Moyes versus Roberto Mancini, I would have said Everton all day because, you know, Moyes had the uh, had the Indian sign over Mancini. We could virtually not get beat, even though they were, you know, so much better than we were at, over those three or four years. But, since those two have left those jobs, 
um, it's kind of reverted to what you would expect. Okay. Um, next very crop fixture is Stoke versus Sunderland. Um, this is a relegation fodder already, isn't it? Um, Sunderland. I mean, this you you don't this expect. Is, this Stoke. is nineteenth versus twentieth, isn't it? Yeah, you you wouldn't expect Stoke to be down there. Come the the back end, the last six or seven games of the season, you fully expect Sunderland to be down there. But Stoke, uh, they've got away with it so far. If 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 it was a slightly bigger club, if if it was Everton, for example, there'd be a heck of a lot in the media about their start to the season. And remember that Stoke petered out something chronic at the back end of last year as well. So this isn't only the start of this season. They've they've won one in something like. 14 games or something in the league. They only won one, I think one of the last 10 last year. Uh, and they've not got a, not been off to a good start this year either. Um, so it's a, it's probably a bigger game for Stoke than it is for Sunderland, even though they're both down the bottom. Okay. Um, right. Quick one word answers for the next couple because we're running out of time and we've got the big game at the end. So West Brom Spurs. Dave? Sadly, can't see beyond Spurs. Mark? Sure. Draw. Okay. Uh, Crystal Palace, West Ham, Mark? Palace. Dave? Draw. Draw. Okay. Mm -hmm. Uh, Sunday, early kickoff, Middlesbrough, Watford, Mark? Uh, Draw. Okay, Dave? Watford 3-0, Troy Deeney (laughs) hat-trick. You like him on your podcast, don't you? Uh, We have have to mention Troy Deeney every week. It's it's a standing joke. (laughs) Okay, and then Southampton Burnley. This is a uh, Charlie Austin derby, isn't it, Mark? Uh, yeah, that's right. Charlie um, Austin. Come. Um, Southampton. Southampton, Dave. Yep, Southampton again. Southampton. So Monday night brings us to the small matter of Liverpool versus Manchester United. It's an eight o'clock kickoff, giving Scousers and Manx the chance to make friends and hug all day in local bars and hostilleries. I can't see. Oh yeah, there. singing "You'll Never Walk Alone in Matthew Street," just like when <laughs> Bruce Dortmund showed up, <laughs> arm in arm, walk into the game. Oh yeah, you can you can see it now. <laughs> uh, okay, so Liverpool have won their last six. Manchester United have won. Oh, no, five. Sorry, uh, Liverpool have won their last five. Manchester United have won three at their last five. This is fourth versus sixth. Um, Manchester United won here one 0 last season. I think was this the was it the matter bicycle kick? Was that that game? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I think so. Dave, I hate things like this because I'm a natural pessimist. I think we're going to get. Look. Can I tell you how I think it's going to go? And you tell me whether I'm sort of on the money or not with it because I think. Um, Mourinho is going to turn up and much like he turned up with Chelsea at that time when Steven Gerrard fell over, um, he's not going to be bothered, bothered about attacking. So we're going to press them deep in their half and he's going to knock it up to Martial or Rashford, whoever's got pace to take on our rather wobbly central defenders and score. I'm more worried about James Milner in this game, who's been absolutely fantastic for us uh, to this point. And I, I put my arms in the air. I doubted him. And he has, you know, he's adapted well, model pro, blah, blah, blah. But I do worry about him with this kind of pace coming at him. Uh, that's the area of concern. If I, had to, if I had to give a one-word answer for this, Chris, it would be easy. Because I don't expect us to lose in any way. Really? Um, I think that... Uh, I don't. I don't I, I'm, normally, I'm, I'm 
so pessimistic going into these. I think that we have these lot. I think we've got them banged or ice. I think they're going to be terrified. You know, you talked about Mourinho coming with Chelsea um, in, in the year we came second. It was different. They had to stop Suarez. You have to stop this unit now. And it's a very, very different, it's a very different proposition. What, what we're doing, the inter- yeah, it, absolutely. And the interchange between, you know, the front three, front four is absolutely magnificent. It's breathtaking football. And, you know, I was a doubter. I really doubted with our transfer business of what we were going to do this season. And I've totally turned around on it. Like I was, I was militant on it. And, you know, seriously, I don't think United will live with us. I really don't. And, you know, what, what are we looking at? You know, Pogba, who started very well, I, I, I must say, but hasn't really looked apart and, and seems to be struggling a little bit with Fellaini. If we can't handle that, come on, Chris. You know, you, you've got to be optimistic about this one. It could be tight, but I, I, I don't see them bothering us. And the fact that Mourinho will come in with that sort of negative uh, approach, it, it's par for the course. It's, it's what we expect from him. But what he's coming to is not what he came to with Chelsea. This is a different animal. And, you know, that that's the first real big game under the lights in the, in the new stadium and everything. That place is going to be rocking. United are in for a torrid time, I think. Oh, I feel all right now, Mark. There you go. We're going to win. Is he right? I hope you are recording this, Chris, for you to actually have said that Liverpool are going to win. No, they're not. We used, well, to, we used to do a prediction game every week on here, Dave, and I predict a draw or, or a, a loss for um, for Liverpool every week. Sorry, Mark, you were saying? Um, I think right the international break could have come at exactly the wrong time for Liverpool, the way they were playing before in the three or four games before that. It could have, or they might just pick up where they left off. We're going to find out on Monday night. Um, United, I think they're, they're still... They're, although for all the pace they've got in the team, they don't play with pace. And they don't get wide often enough for my liking. I think that was always always something you, you expected of Man United teams. They played quickly, they played wide, and they got it in. They played good, fast, effective football. Mourinho's teams never have. Van Gaal's teams didn't. And this version of Man United with Mourinho at the helm. So far, I don't think that they've played that well. They're a bit slow and ponderous, pretty much like England. Liverpool, of course, are the exact opposite. And I think Liverpool are going to be... This talk of title challenge, I think it's still a bit premature, personally, Mm. over the whole season. Agree with you, yeah. Yeah, I fancy them finish top four, have done probably since the start of the season. But I think it's a little bit of... I think they're a streaky team, and I think Liverpool will win six on the trot. And then they'll have wobbles, you know. They'll have, they'll have little wobbles because they'll have, they'll they'll hit injuries because I don't think you can sustain, even though they don't have the same amount of games as City or United who were in Europe. They'll hit wobbles. They don't have the depth of squad. They'll go three games without a win. They'll lose to the likes of Burnley, which they already have that that they should be winning. But having said that, all things being equal, I fancy Liverpool to turn these over three nil because I think they've got too much face, uh, pace, too much fire in their bellies right now for United to cope with. I think the 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 Chelsea team that went there, Chelsea didn't didn't well okay, they were still in the league challenge at the time, but I think Mourinho really wanted to just stick his fingers up to Liverpool at that point and stop them win the league. So he didn't really care much for what Chelsea's ambitions were. As the Manchester United manager, I even though every point counts, I don't think you can take Manchester United to Liverpool and park the bus. I think it's not acceptable. Um, and I think he'll, I think he'll, he'll think that. And also, United don't have the players to do that. They don't have the quality in midfield, the steel in midfield, or at the back to be able to play for that result in the same way that Chelsea did a couple of years ago. Um, 
Pogba has yet to convince for me. I've never been convinced by Pogba being a hundred million pounds player or whatever it was. Um, he certainly wasn't that good in the Euros and I've yet to see him stand out for United in, uh, this season. Uh, and, and beyond that, I don't think they've got the, yeah, I just don't think they've got the fire in the belly the same way that Liverpool will have. Uh, whether that comes from the manager, I don't know. Right. Well, I'm all happy. Chris, just, just one more thing to say yep. on, on, on Liverpool as well. We've, the two Brazilians who have been absolutely Brazil, are brilliant for us, um, in Brazilian. recent weeks before the Bra- Brazilian, yeah, Bra- Brazilian, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, both coming off goal scoring appearances for Brazil. Phil, Felipe Coutinho played both games, uh, for Brazil here and, you know, continued that form. Firmino came on in the first game here in Natal, scored and, you know, again, looks the part. They've, you know, they, they came straight back uh, Tuesday night. They've nearly had a week to recover. I expect both of them to start. And, you know, in the form that they're in at the minute, they, they carried that into the international break. I expect them to carry it out of it. And they are key. Firmino especially is key to this game because he is just, his work ethic doesn't have equal. Well, I'm more happy and glowy now. I feel a bit more optimistic. Right. Okay. Well, I'm going to end on that positive note, if that's all right. Chaps, thank you ever so much for joining us. Um... Dave, if they want to follow you and the WFI on Twitter, how do they do that? No problem. I'm at DaveRN66 on Twitter. And, you know, if, if you don't follow WFI, please please give us a shout. We, you know, we cover all aspects of football globally. Uh, we podcast from near enough every region of the world. Um, and we do also do a very, very good tactics podcast. And you can follow us there at World Football I, the letter I for India. Uh, and, you know, our website is www.worldfootballindex.com. And, you know, where there's a lot of articles from around the world. There are some very niche content, but it's it's growing and we're, we're very proud of what we do over there. And you like, if you like girls with hot American accents who are quite stressed. Well, she, she was. I'm gonna. I'm actually in the process of editing the, the latest uh, South American pod where she has taken three migraine pills, and it's hilarious. That's all I'm saying. Excellent. <laughs> um, Mark, if they want to follow you, how do they do that? Uh, they can follow me on that Twitter uh, at the Football Pink. All right, and you got issue 14 of the Football Pink coming out soon. Next week. Yeah. Okay. This is a Scottish one, is it? It's all about Scottish football. That's right. Any sneaky previews you can give us? Oh, uh, we've got um, old school stuff, uh, Queen's Park, the founders of Rangers and their ultimate fate. Um, we've got um, a look back at some of the highlights of the 1980s, which is possibly one of Scotland's uh, Scottish football's high points. Um, what else have we got? Stuff about the Ansel Babes, which is a sort of the, the Motherwell version of Manchester United's Busby Babes of the 50s. Um and quite a few other bits and bobs. Excellent. All right. Uh, Ross and the guys hopefully will be back at the um, normal time on the Sunday. You're going to be able to download that early next week. They'll be uh, reviewing what we've been previewing for the Premier League here. Um, at Man on the Post is the Twitter account and the fa- uh, the um, Instagram account for Man on the Post. You can rate and review us on iTunes. Each five-star review pushes us further up the charts. Uh, you can also download us from Acast. You can subscribe on both, and they'll automatically arrive in whatever listing device you have without even having to do anything. Um, so all that remains to be said is uh, thanks ever so much, Mark. Thank you very much. Thank you, Dave. Thank you very much, Chris. It's always a pleasure coming on here. Very, very much thanks. Excellent. No worries. And always remember to keep your man on the post. <laughs>